this is the Monday afternoon prayer walk connect group and we'd like to welcome you to this Sunday 6pm service. Today we'll be hearing from one of our link missionaries, Shane Sparks, who is currently serving the Lord in Gijon, Spain. He will be speaking to us on being ready to give an account for what we believe. Being ready, what does that mean? In John 14, 6 we read, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Matthew 24, 44 says, So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So to be prepared for an unexpected event, let's listen to what God has to say to us today. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come today to worship you. You alone are God, and Jesus is the only way. Prepare our hearts now and help us to worship you as you deserve and to hear your voice through the service today. Amen. Hi everyone, it's May 2020, 11 weeks and a little bit since we were first quarantined and uh, we just wanted to do a video newsletter for you to let you know how we're doing. Uh, we read in the Bible this morning where Paul writes to the Colossians about Tychius and he says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. So part of the way that we want to live that out is to do that with a newsletter. Uh, I've been encouraged recently in Isaiah 40 to 55, reading through that several times about how God is the only God and the idols that exist are things that we set up and that we give power to in our lives, but he's the only true God, the only one that truly has any power and how he constantly invites us and beckons us uh, to enjoy him and have a relationship with him and how he provided that through the servant. Hi, Ruth. Hi. Hi guys, it's been really lovely around here to be able to get out and I've been enjoying doing some running with a friend, so that's been great and the spring weather is beautiful. And is there anything that's been encouraging you as you read through the Bible? Yes, this last week uh, I was super encouraged looking at Psalm 119 and looking at the Word of God and then thinking about Jesus as being the Word of God and seeing Jesus all through Psalm 119 has been awesome. Hey. Okay. Um, well, this quarantine has been quite long and um, I recently have been enjoying going out um, bike riding. And have you been encouraged by anything you've read recently? Well, um, I just finished Luke and um, I was really encouraged at how patient um, Jesus was. Hey, Joel. Hey, Jolie. Hi. Hi. Hi guys, hopefully you're going well. Um, I am, and today, now it's Saturday, and roughly the middle of the weekend, and I'm, a, I'm enjoying being able to go outside and play football. Cool, Joel. Um, have you been encouraged by anything you've read recently in the Bible? Yes. What stood out to me was that after the the Moses' people, after Moses, got freed from the Egyptians of, of slavery, um, 
they went into the desert and they they worshipped the God. But then after a few years, they worshipped idols. And then God always had one person to take to drive them back to God. And then that happened a few times. And that's what stood out to me. It's really cool. Hi, Finn. Hi, guys. Hey, Finn. Hey, Finn. Hey, Finn. I've been enjoying being with my friends outside and riding poetry. Cool, Finn. Um, has anything told you that you've read in the Bible recently? Well, yeah, that God's love doesn't change depending how we behave. And what about you guys? We would love to hear. Bye. Bye, Bye
Hi, I'm Veronica. I'm reading the Bible today. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that that might be judged according to the men in regard to the body, but live according to God in his regard to the spirit. Hey Shalhaba, what a great privilege it is to be here with you on this Sunday, even though it's virtual, to be able to share uh, this series that you're doing here in 1 Peter. Love and greetings from all of us here on the opposite side of the world. And uh, we trust that you're doing well, that you're enduring this unique time well. I think this is a great letter for us to look at as, as we consider what it's like to live as believers in a world like the one that we're living in now. This letter opened with, with Peter uh, saying to the, to the churches in the five provinces, uh, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout the five provinces who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and for, this is the goal, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. What a great letter to be looking at. Now, when, when we get to chapter 4 of, of this letter, we, we see that it's, Peter's dealing with the end of sin. And we're going to look at three ends. He's, he's looking at the death of sin, and there are three ends in this passage. The end of sin in the flesh. The end of those who continue in sin. And also the third part is the end of those who end with sin. So firstly, in these first three verses, we see the end of sin in the flesh. And it opens with therefore. Now as a new believer, a friend of mine taught me the tool of asking the passage, what is the therefore, therefore? And we're going to ask that. Peter has been addressing the value of suffering in these early chapters and, and right throughout the letter. And he's already shown us in 2 verses 22 to 23 how Jesus suffered. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. He did not retaliate, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And why? Verse 24. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And then in chapter 3, verse 18, we see, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so we carry all that understanding of what Peter's already written 
into chapter 4 verse 1 and the therefore of chapter 4 verse 1 where it says therefore since Christ suffered in his body arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered all that we've just read about his suffering in his body is done with sin now it's not talking as much about us as it is talking about Jesus in us he is the sufferer who entrusts himself to God, who bore our sins, who was wounded, who died, who finished with sins. Freeing us to live for righteousness, as we read in chapter 2, verses 24. To bring us to God, as we read in chapter 3, verse 18. And to follow the instruction that we have here in chapter 4, verse 1. To arm ourselves with the same resolve, the same attitude as it writes here in the NIV. Now we meant with this image of army cells, we're meant to think of a military scene. Now it's been sprinkled through the letter too, with mentions of preparing oneself for actions, sin which wage war against our souls in chapter 2, the authority of Jesus and the submission of angels and authorities and rule and powers in, at the end of chapter 3. It's all militant in nature. And so we're meant to arm ourselves for a battle. Now, for my 40th birthday party, Ruth organised a surprise birthday party. I love surprises. It turned out well. She gathered a few of my closest friends and sent us off to kill each other with paintballs. Now, if you've ever done this, you, you know you arrive and they give you the safety talk and then you give the we are not responsible, the we are free from indemnity talk. And then they hand you the protective gear and the paintball gun. Now, apart from a few fist fights at school, this is the closest that I've ever come to any form of physical warfare. And um, so you dress up, you turn the collar up because you don't want to get those paintballs on your bare skin, especially on your neck, because not only does it hurt, but it also looks quite suspicious. And, uh, and, and, so you, and then you arm yourself with your gun and you take all your ammunition that you've chosen to afford, which always seems a little bit too little once things start, and then you go out and you try and shoot one another. Now I've played paintball a few times now, two or three times now, and every time it strikes me how low my potential for survival would be in a real war. Now there comes a time in the game as well when that birthday boy or the buck on a buck's night or, or whoever they're trying to single out uh, is targeting in a game where everyone shoots at this one person, this unarmed victim. And so if, and, and, and it's so much fun for everyone else. And now if you if there's very little chance of your survival when you when you are armed, there's no chance of survival when you're not armed. And so Peter says, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with the same resolve, the same decision, the same determination, the same attitude. He means to have a wartime mentality by being sober-minded and hoping on the grace that's yet to come, as it says in in, in chapter 1, verse 13. By abstaining from that which wages war against our souls, which it says in chapter 2, verse 11. And by choosing and depending on Christ's suffering for us in chapter 3. We're engaged in war. Don't pretend it's not happening. Arm yourselves with this resolve, or to put it in terms that are more normal. Believe it, as chapter 2 constantly reminds us to do. Now, belief is the response that the gospel asks us for when, when someone's accepting Christ's suffering for themselves for the first time. And if that's you, you're going to want to do that, as you'll see in the coming verses. 
But belief is also something that the gospel continues to invite us to in ever increasing ways because there are areas of our life that remain unsurrendered, areas of our lives that we haven't entrusted to God yet, and that can cause spiritual dryness, and it can cause self-deception, and it can cause internal conflicts. And what Peter is trying to eradicate here is the idolatry in our lives. Now, idolatry is setting up dependencies or structures to compensate for those areas where we believe Jesus and his suffering is inadequate or impotent to help us. That's what it is at its heart, even though we don't think about it that way naturally. And so Peter calls us to arms, to believe in Jesus alone, verse, as verse 3 shows us. And then he lists out these things, sensualities, lust, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and unacceptable idolatries. It's a list of ever-increasingly delivering oneself over to the other side. Sensualities are those things that we go to privately to stimulate our senses. They're not all necessarily bad at the beginning. What we choose to watch, what or how much food or drink we choose to put in our mouths, how we choose to use our bodies. And then lust takes it a step further in being drawn after these sensualities. And by the time we get to orgies and drinking parties in the list, those private actions which reveal our heart's orientation, our heart's north, are now interlinked with other people in evil ways. And the final item on this list are idolatries. And so while, while orgies and drinking parties give our bodies over to be shared in shameful acts with others, idolatry completely surrenders our soul in complete bondage to the other side of this warfare. Who do you look to for protection? How are you pursuing prosperity or fruitfulness? What would you sacrifice for stability and security or to no longer fear or to obtain victory in some area? In what or in whom do you seek pleasure? Who or what words have you allowed to define who you are and, and how you behave? Because these are all idolatrous patterns and schemes and each one of us has a mix of them warring inside of us. And Peter says, arm yourselves with the belief that Jesus' suffering is enough to protect, to bring prosperity and security and, and victory and pleasure and bestow on, your, bestow on you your true God-given identity. Perhaps you should take some time today or this week to ask God to identify areas of idolatry according to this list that we've just listed out in your life so that you can confess them to him so that you can renounce them before him, and so that you're free to embrace him and take pleasure in his will as your will is transformed into a, into a more completely godly will. That's what verse 2 is talking about. Evil human desires are the desires that are not conformed to the will of God. They're opposed to it. And the one who's done with sin through belief in Jesus' suffering no longer lives for those desires. It's not that you may never slip. It's not that you may never fall hard. But as, the, as your will is conformed to his, you begin to delight in these new things, these new desires over the old ones that you used to depend on and go to. And however long we spent living according to human desires, Peter says it's been enough. It's long enough. You're done with those things. 
You don't have to live there any longer. In Christ, we're freed up to live for God's will. We're freed up to arm ourselves with the resolve, the belief that Christ's suffering is enough for every problem, for every solution, for every pleasure that we would want to go after in a true sense. We don't have to and we shouldn't depend on anything else. There's nothing and there's no one else who has done with sin. He's it. And so don't try and white-knuckle it until sin dies. It won't happen. Don't rely on others or on other things. If you try, you'll die. And the end of sin in the flesh is through arming ourselves with the belief that Christ has suffered and died and that our unity with him is a sin-freeing unity that leads us along the path of righteousness and brings us salvation. Now we know that this process doesn't happen in isolation, doesn't happen without others around us and without others witnessing our lives. And, and we've just seen the end uh, to sin in the flesh in verses 1 to 3. And now in verses 4 to 5, Peter reveals the end for those who continue in sin. So I've just been contacted this week by one of my friends in this disciple-making movements network that we've got throughout Spain from Madrid. And he's asked me to coach a young North African imam who now lives in Spain. This imam wanted to know what the Bible said, and so he picked up the word and he started to read it, and he was converted amazingly, miraculously. The word did its work in him, and he started to share with those in his mosque about what he was learning, about what he was discovering. And, and they, they, they reacted so forcefully against him that they didn't just drive him out of the mosque, but they drove him out of the country, and he found himself in Spain. And now even the local imams are watching him, and they're preaching against the work that he's doing by handing out food in a local food bank. Now, Peter has been encouraging us to do good throughout this letter in order to silence the accusations against us, in order to shame those who accuse us, in order to win them over to Jesus. And here there's a slight difference because, because he's not asking us to, to do good to shame them. Our time doing what they do is up. The problem is that we did it with them and they saw us and now that we're not doing those things, they just don't understand. They have no way to understand what's happened and the change that's happened in us. They're surprised, it says here, bewildered that we don't dive back into this flooding river of wickedness with them and it causes this reaction in them. And do you see it at the end of verse 4 there? They heap abuse on you. They vilify you. They malign you. The very fact that you stop doing what they consider to be sucking the marrow out of life provokes a reaction to their conscience. At its root, it's an inferiority complex. Do you remember the reaction against that first person of your group of friends at school that left the group of friends to go off and spend time with their new boyfriend or girlfriend? Or can you imagine a situation in a team where one player excels far beyond the others and he's not rejected? If what I consider to be life isn't what you consider isn't what you continue to choose for life, it shakes me at my foundations because I don't have it and I can't understand it. And the tall poppy syndrome is 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 a type, a variety of this same scenario. And what do we do when we feel attacked? Well we retaliate. And so they heap abuse on us, they vilify us, they malign us. And whether it's the partiers that this passage seems to be uh, painting the picture of, or whether it's the religious imams, they will not get away with that abuse against us. They won't have the last word. That's not how the story ends, because when Jesus returns, he'll be judging everyone. Those billions who have passed 
since the creation of the world and the billions who will be on the earth when he returns. That's what verse 5 in the judging of the living and the dead means, all of us. And he's ready to judge us because he has finished with sin. Now that idea might not seem important to you in your context, but in the context where you've witnessed the death of other believers at the hands of attackers, the fact that that's not how the story ends is a pretty important factor. Now I'm glad our passage doesn't finish there today because that would be a pretty low point to finish on. An uncertain judgment is completely void of hope. And if this salvation thing depends on me and my performance, then I have to earn God's favour or outweigh the bad with the good. And then on the last day, there'll be some judge which comes and tells me whether I've done enough. What a hopeless existence. But it doesn't end that way, does it? There's an end to sin in the flesh. There's an end for those who continue with sin. And there's an end in verse 6 for those who end with sin. And it's sure because, verse 6, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Now I want to highlight two points here. The first is that we will be judged. And I think as Christians, sometimes we believe that we're going to get this letter of exemption for the great courtroom on the last day, as if it were some jury duty exception or something similar. But that's not what we read in the Bible. We will all stand before the judge. The books will be opened and they will be judged according to what we have done. Our works will be laid bare. And if Adam and Eve's all-consuming, overwhelming, shameful response before the holy God that they, that they were naked before moments earlier, that they knew so personally and intimately, if that's anything to go by, I think it's probably going to be the hardest day we will ever experience. And if it were not for the advocate who is finished with sin and is at our side and offers himself up as the one who has fulfilled the sentence we deserve, then we would not only be sentenced, but we would be condemned to serve that sentence too. But because of him, we will be released and it will be this glorious day finally to be free from that sin, to be free from all the fig leaf-like coverings that we have inadvertently created to protect ourselves against shame, the shame of seeing ourselves, the shame of others seeing us, the shame of God seeing us how we are, and to be able to relate to him for the first time, completely exposed and yet safe. And that's the second thing I want to highlight. That though there will be a judgment in regard to the body for everyone, we have the chance to live spiritually toward God right now. As well as, as enjoy Jesus' advocacy and what that means for us eternally. That is why the gospel was preached. So that we might live to God. And I don't think the, the, the phrase here that preached even to those who are now dead is trying to link back to 319, the spirits in prison. I think instead it's answering the question of what happened to those who received the gospel but suffered and died before Peter writes his letter. They didn't see vindication, they saw death instead. And they, the gospel expectation which they, were, which they received was one of salvation, so how were they to understand it? Does it mean, on the one hand, that they weren't Christians, really? Or does it mean, on the other, that the gospel is not true? And they are logical conclusions under these circumstances because remember, this is the first generation of believers. They had to theologize about it and you'll see some more practical outworking of that throughout this letter 
as you continue in it. They had to wrestle with why Jesus had not returned, with how they were meant to live in the meantime, with, with what physical death meant after receiving the gospel. They had to reconcile these seemingly contradictory truths and experiences. And so Peter assures them that the judge of the living and the dead also has a gospel which is bigger than physical death. It's spiritual and it's life. And this life is oriented towards God who is the author and source of life, of all life. And it's as if Peter was saying to them, don't worry about those who have passed. Don't worry about their assurance. All of them are assured of their judgment day, just as we are. And all of them are assured of their spiritual life, their communion with God, just as we are. That's assurance right there. That's the end for those who end with sin. And that's why the gospel was preached to us, and that's why it must continue to be preached. So what is it that slows you or stops you from doing it? It's not easy, I get it. After 13 years here, I'm still plagued by the fear that my accent is somehow going to prejudice Jesus. It's a ridiculous fear that doesn't make sense for a variety of reasons, but it's present with me in different moments and to differing degrees. But think about it this way for a moment. What if the, your main reasons for, for not preaching the gospel were accepted or, or were, were used by those who preached the gospel to you and you didn't hear it? Where would you be right now? What would you be doing? And what could you expect on that last day? We're talking about eternal judgment. This is it's no small deal. But we did have it preached to us. And we can preach it to others. But we had it preached to us so that they will be judged according to the body. We can live spiritually towards God now and always in increasingly delightful ways as we wait for our glorification and our full relational experience of our Heavenly Father, of our Saviour and Brother Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit. Who knows how we're going to experience the Holy Spirit after Judgment Day and our glorification whether we're alive when he returns or whether we're dead long past. Now we started with Peter's introduction to the letter which has as a goal our obedience to Jesus and being sprinkled with his blood. Now if we're going to take on this, take, take it on, then we also need to take on this wartime mentality. Arm yourselves with this resolve that you're going to rid yourself of all forms of idolatry, that you're going to identify them and eradicate them, see them, see them ripped away by Jesus and replaced with a confidence and a faith and a belief in him and depend on his suffering to end with sin in you so that you can be free and transformed to prefer the will of God. You will not find true help, hope elsewhere and there is no true life elsewhere. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our life. And Jesus has given us the way, as we've read here today, to be able to walk in that road of righteousness. God bless you all. Please join with me in praying to our God. We are encouraged in God's word to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. In the words of the psalmist, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he 
who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues for all generations. Set apart Jesus as Lord, to live as a chosen people, a people belonging to you. Help us to live such good lives that people will see our good deeds and glorify God because of them. You know it's hard for us to live in harmony all the time, to be sympathetic, to love, to show compassion and humility, to forgive and to move on. You know how hard it is for us to move from a me-first lifestyle to putting you at the centre. We pray that you will forgive us when we get this wrong. Help us through the guidance of your spirit to seek your presence, create space for your voice to be heard in our lives, to read your word and to connect with you in prayer. We acknowledge that there is so much we can be thankful for, even when times may be difficult. You have made yourself known to us as God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit. Through your Holy Spirit, we have been gifted with godly characteristics of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. You have promised us that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you, Lord, for our church community and the way we have adapted to change. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to meet together again is drawing closer. We thank you for our Prime Minister, State Premiers and all the men and women in leadership. Thank you for their courage to make hard choices in difficult times, bringing our country through this crisis. Please continue to give them the wisdom to know how best to lead going forward. We thank you for our doctors and nurses and all medical staff as they put the welfare of others before themselves. We pray for those seeking a vaccine for COVID. Give them the wisdom, skill and patience for their work and by your grace, success in their labours. We give thanks for our police and paramedics and all emergency services. We give thanks for all the cleaning staff who work tirelessly to keep hospitals and public places clean and germ-free. Lord, we give you thanks and praise as you alone are worthy. Amen. Heavenly Father, please bless our families. In our marriages, deepen our bonds as we face life's challenges together. Give parents strength, patience and wisdom as we bring up our children that we may teach them to love whatever is just, true and good, following the example of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord God, we lift up our Connect groups before you. We thank you for the variety of opportunities we have found to remain connected and pray that groups will continue to encourage one another in their walk with you. We particularly pray for those who have been isolated that they may be reunited with their groups and the wider church community. Amen. O oh God, we thank you for our healthcare systems and emergency services. We pray for these workers that they may be your channels of healing to those who suffer in body, mind and spirit. 
and may themselves find strength, support and encouragement from those they serve. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers and answer according to your good will. Amen. Thank you for joining Karen and myself as we review the book Enjoying God by Tim Chester. So some of you might remember that this book was mentioned by the Williamson family in a previous podcast. So Karen, can we begin with you sharing how you felt when you were given a book to read that was about experiencing the power and love of God in everyday life? Well, Natalie, I can actually thank you for loaning me this book and another book. Um, and I'm looking forward to the third. <laughs> um, last year, I was thrown a bit of a health curveball um, and I started to do a few things that I didn't usually have time for. Um, one of which was journal writing and the second of which was devouring books, mostly historical romance. <laughs> But I look back on my journal when we were asked to do this, because I remember you giving me the other book, um, and I wrote this. Natalie Ryan loaned me a small book with a powerful pull, calling me to live a generous, hospitable, spirit-led, Christ-like life. The book was titled Surprise the World by Michael Frost. Um, so after getting that book, Natalie, I really look forward to um, reading the, the second book um, and I was really grateful that I had time off work to be able to read books and, and develop skills and do things that I didn't normally do. Thanks, Karen. Your courage and ability to see the positive in situations has been truly amazing. Mm. So can you provide us with an overview of the book, please? <laughs> You can hold it now. <laughs> so the book, Enjoying God, really got my attention um, right at the beginning. It asked me the question, which members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit, do you have the strongest relationship with? Um, and then it went on to say that people often think of God a bit like the Wizard of Oz. Um, Jesus is the attractive face of God, but it is the facade behind which lurks a grumpy old man. But as we know, nothing could be further from the truth. I really love this imagery and it resonated with sometimes how I feel. Um, the book gives really practical advice on how to enjoy God by developing separate relationships with the three, which I'd never really thought about. Mm. For example, when you read the Bible, it suggests that um, we look at that as a way of communicating with God and that the aim of when we read our Bible is to hear God's voice. Um, it talks of us when we do good and, and love others. Sometimes it's hard to do that in our own right, but if we want to see the spirit work in our life, Tim suggests that we attempt to do things that we wouldn't normally be able to do um, and that we would be able to do that with the spirit's help. Um, talks about Jesus having to become human, to become weak, to suffer like us. So that God in Christ also experiences the full sensation of being human, including suffering. There were so many more great images that Tim used to illustrate his points, and these really brought Father, uh, God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son to life for me, um, helping me see them in their individual light. Um, I got so much from reading it. I know you were in a hurry to get it back, but I'm really looking forward to reading it again. So likewise, for me, the suggestion that I can enjoy God more um, can be achieved by deepening my relationship with God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit um, was something I haven't given much time and thought to either. So in the book, each of the chapters are quite short. They finish with an action for the week and some reflective questions. 
um, and I found those to be really helpful as well. So thanks Karen. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this book review and encouraged to go out there and get yourself a copy and read it. Thanks for joining us online and a special thanks to everybody involved in the podcast, especially Shane. Hearing God's word really helps us enjoy God more. Just a reminder that some ministries are meeting again this week. So check with your connect group leader or ministry leader. Next week, Pete is speaking to us on persevering through hard times. So don't miss that one. Let's pray as we finish our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we have learned tonight. Please help us to put it into practice and to encourage each other in the comments and in the coming week. Amen.